0: you don't want to like muddy the waters by just taking the same story elements and printing them under one consistent title with one consistent numbering system it's important that you like repackage different pieces over and over again you're like this time it's issues one to ten and the next reprint will be issues one to fifteen like (laughs) <laughs>
1: well, you, you got to discourage those dastardly trade waiters. We're supposed—we're doing it wrong. We're supposed to be showing up at a comic book store every Wednesday. Every Wait,
0: Wednesday. Where? Where, where? In advance. Yes. Yeah. Well, like, where would we go? R.I.P. Lucky's. R.I.P. Lucky's and Eighth Dimension Comics. Oh no.
1: There yeah. is a comic shop in uh, Port Moody, which is not too far from me but that's like one city over there are none in my city i mean yeah, i think
2: there's none here i think my closest is probably Town.
0: oh right yeah metropolis is still there Oh right, yeah
1: it's... metropolis is good
0: golden age is still holding strong i don't know how they do it with downtown rent but they manage <laughs>
2: i think they get a lot of tourists or that's... they used to anyway
0: that yeah. makes sense. And they also they're a sister store to a destination comic store in Seattle. Hmm. Because there's a Golden Age at Pike Place Market too. I think that was the original. Oh. Yeah. That. I yeah. I not know that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's the same owner, but yeah, there's a Golden Age in Seattle and a Golden Age in uh in Vancouver. Well, speaking of comics that are often collected and numbered consistently let's talk about manga (laughs)
2: Manga, yeah the only thing you really have to worry about with manga is when they start to do the three-in-ones and at least the three-in-ones are pretty easy to figure out and they're very visually distinct and i for one welcome our three-in-one overlord uh, (laughs) because i think it's a really good way to keep older series in print Because if you have a series that's like 20 volumes long, and then you divide it by three, that's just like way fewer books that you need to manage. Yeah. So that's my take on three-in-one omnibuses. Thank you for coming to the Trade Waiters. I've been your host, Jam.
1: I'll Um, I'll post the the outro music now. Yeah, that's right.
2: (laughs) yeah so Witch Hat Atelier is a comic that we are reviewing today or discussing today so Witch Hat Atelier is currently in serialization there are 10 volumes out and today we are going to review one and two it started in 2016 so if you like comics and you like witches and you like drawings come on board for for the tale of the Atelier (laughs) I don't know how we start these. Do we want a character building question? Yes. Okay. So magic is uh, the topic of which had Atelier. And I wanted to know if you could have a contraption, which is the magical device that is used in this series. uh, If you could have a contraption to help you with or replace any mundane chore or activity, which one would you relegate? to magical status? What would be your, your priority?
1: Oh, that's so easy. Uh, I'm JD and it takes me an hour to get to work in my car. I want that window thing.
2: <laughs> Hell yeah.
1: <laughs> like when, when you started your, your question, my first thought was, oh, I could use the window thing at you anywhere in the world. But no, even if it's even just, if just, it's just for like mundane purposes, <laughs> for say two hours a day, yeah. yes, I'll take it.
2: Yes.
0: Oh, man. That's that's a good one. That's a good one. I'm Jeff Ellis, and I think I want the shoes where you put the toes together and then you get to fly. Uh so similar, similar thought with John to commuting, but I think I don't have to commute as far. And then often it's just like I'll be walking home from the grocery store and I'm like, oh man, like I just don't like climbing up this hill or whatever. And it's like I sometimes imagine, like, oh, if like only I could float you know, and just float home, um, this would be so much more pleasant. So if I just had shoes I could float on, I think that's that's what I would, I would want.
2: All right. Well, I'm Jam, and if I had to choose a, a contraption from the book, I think I'd choose a, like, instant dry rings because I don't mm. like being wet. But personally, if I had to eliminate one chore, it would be dishes. If I could just magic away dishes out of my life. Like, the dishwasher comes close, but you still have to, like my dishwasher personally kind of sucks. So I still have to like soak things and then rinse things and then put them in and then run it and then like take them out. I don't know. Dishes, like they're just like a constant, a constant miserable fixture of my life. (laughs) And so if I could magic away any chores, it would be dishes. And I feel like that would plus 10 my sanity almost instantly.
1: I'm sure they must have a device that does that. It hasn't been in the, the book you know, at least in the first. but you also volume.
2: haven't been seeing them doing dishes, huh?
0: Riddle me this. <laughs> maybe they just spare. Maybe just they just throw the the dirty dishes into the like portal to the middle of the universe that the they toilet use for the toilet. <laughs> just like create new dishes each time Why not? Why
1: not? It's, it's gonna be a struggle for me not to compare this book to another book where kids learn magic but the toilet to space is such a better solution
2: it, it's kind of a it's kind of a direct dig i feel
1: i that, i really hope it is actually
2: <laughs> yeah so it's a it's another reference to a wizard-based series that will not be named
1: oh we're We not. just decided to call it the series that shall not be named. The,
0: the series that shall not be named. We can put it that.
1: There yeah, we <laughs> At least for this episode.
0: All right. That that sounds fair. My initial impression of this was like, move over, series that shall not be named, uh, yeah. which Atelier is a much better series than you are. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So why don't I
2: tell you a little bit more about uh, which had Atelier and the creator? So Kemome. Shirahama is, I would say, like a relative newcomer to the field, uh, but coming in strong, right? So she graduated from Tokyo University School of Art with a, de- a design grad, which is like a very competitive university to get into. So uh, if you're interested in learning more about the, the world of art education in Japan, I've actually been reading a manga called Blank Canvas, which is the the author who made Princess Jellyfish. It's like her life story. And so she she goes into great detail about this whole process of getting into a Tokyo art University. long story short, it's really hard to get into Tokyo <laughs> University for art. Uh, and so, like I think it's it's very clear why she was able to persist. Uh, so before that, she came out with a three-volume series called Niel and Deweyel, which has not been translated into English that I can see, but it's been re-released in French, uh, and it seems to be about an angel and a demon. But since then, she's done a bunch of freelance work for Marvel, DC, and Star Wars in particular. So she's notable for doing some of the character designs in that anime anthology that they did for Star Wars. But... She picked up Witch Hat Atelier in 2016, and it has kind of been extremely popular since the jump for reasons that I'm sure we'll discuss. And uh, there are 10 volumes so far. And kind of the broad strokes, as we've been alluding to, is that it is a story about witches, a world of witchcraft. So our story begins with a young girl named Coco. Coco is not a witch. She lives in a village village. You know, not anywhere important. A small village. She's the daughter of someone who sells specialty cloth, but she really, really is into magic. Magic is a part of her world. And uh where she lives, the world where she lives, magic is reserved for you know the, the chosen few who are kind of born into it. And there's no way that a commoner can use magic. It just you can't be done. It's not a power that you can have, but one day when she was young she got a book from a mysterious stranger and it told her all about magic and how it works but not really clear instructions and so she became kind of captivated with magic and well kind of a magic fangirl is kind of how it's portrayed and this kind of comes to the head one day when uh, a group of wealthy patrons in their carriage come uh, and also a mysterious stranger named Kifri and the carriage breaks down but luckily Kifri is there to repair the seal. And he says, uh, and so Coco is like, this is my chance, this is my chance to see magic. And Kifri says, no, 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 it's forbidden. No one can see. So he closes himself up in the workshop to repair the seal, but Coco does sneak in and sees that in fact, magic is done by anyone with drawing. You can just draw and magic will happen. And so using this knowledge, Coco decides to start Practicing with the images in that little book she saw. But unfortunately, it's not so cut and dry. And she manages to replicate a seal that is very dangerous and forbidden and turns her mother to stone. So Kifri luckily was able to step in and rescue Coco before she herself turned to stone, but said that, you know, this is a very bad thing. I either have to erase your memory or you have to become a witch immediately. And so it was decided that Coco shall become a witch and this is her story. So what did you all think?
1: I really enjoyed this. Uh, You had pitched this to us, Jam, as like, let's do something light and fun. And I think this fits the bill. There's aspects of it that I like better than others. Uh, I think the illustration is absolutely amazing. The world building is really great. Uh, I'm less of a fan of the plot, but whatever. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, we, we're we going to have lots to talk about, I think. But all in all, I thought it was good.
0: Yeah, I have similar sentiments. I, I think I made a specific note about just like solid drawing. Like I think I'm going to actually say, and I don't want this to sound like a slight against other manga we've covered but I think this is maybe one of the best drawn manga we've ever covered outside of maybe Nausicaa like every panel is just like immaculate like the illustration like the opening spread like when I opened up and looked at the first page the first page of art like I was like whoa what is this and then I turned to the spread with like the watercolor and I was like holy crap you know like the art is just so top notch. And yeah, the premise is really fun. I mean, you know, that you get to have mad, you can create magic if you can draw, like, obviously we're all biased, but I'm just like, (laughs) yes, this is a great concept. And I mean, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it for what it was. And I mean, I guess, yeah, it has a lot of manga isms in terms of the way the plot is structured, but I think maybe I I don't know I think I'm just numb to that like I'm just like it's a manga of course it's going to have these things like
1: <laughs> welcome to the other side
0: <laughs> yeah more or less
1: <laughs> uh I want to pull off two threads you said there one the illustration uh, I feel like the illustration is good in a way where it's like how do you have time for this like uh jam I don't know if you know whether these this is in a like a a weekly or a monthly serialization.
2: It it is serialized in a monthly magazine. I don't know. It's one of Kadansha's monthlies. Uh, I don't know whether it releases every single month. Uh, That's a really good question.
1: Because it's even, even once a month, it's 60 pages. These are long chapters. 60 pages of this a month. I don't know how that's physically possible. And I hope the artist isn't like damaging herself doing this because like I think the reason we don't often see this level of detail in manga is because it's not generally physically possible but yeah I mean not being the one who has to make it it looks great
2: <laughs> is serialized in Kodansha's monthly morning Two, but I don't okay. have a reference to like which specific months but yeah I, I agree with you like the level of drawing in this book is so high it's like being sucked into a fairy tale in my opinion Uh like one of the reasons kind of so I'll to, to echo you JD and also Jeff like so the plot isn't bad I just don't think the plot is really groundbreaking in any way it's fine it holds together the magic system is interesting the characters are interesting I like the way that it flows it feels paced okay it's just like fine but the art on its own is enough to make this like a blind recommend Like, it's, it's just so good. Like, please just look at this book. Uh, So the, I feel like the art elevates the story. Um, So like what's described and what's portrayed is just illustrated in such a beautiful and captivating way. Uh, As I was rereading it, I realized that it reminded me of a book I had when I was a child called the Blue Fairy Book which had a lot of very detailed etching style. And this kind of, this etching style reminds me of it. And I I looked it up and the artist's inspiration was more like Mucha. Mucha is cited as one of their work. Mucha. Oh
1: yeah, the the Czech artist who did all those posters.
2: Alphonse Mucha, yeah. 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 And so you can see that a lot in the ornate patterns, I think. So there's a lot of really ornate designs and like, embellishments around a lot of the the narrative elements that I think really points to that inspiration.
1: It reminds me a lot of uh Trung Le Nguyen's work. Yeah
2: I would agree oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh,
1: that same sort of like fairy tale inspired kind of I think we called it an international style where it's like got sure. clear influences from at least three different continents.
2: Yeah yeah and so yeah I feel that that comes through in this work as well where the the magic system feels very western and the drawing style feels very european and the uh but it's clearly a manga and like a lot comes through with that as well and yet it manages to put a unique spin on it so i think it's very fun
0: yeah the the, just all the characters are very unique which again like is something that sometimes comes up in manga is that the only way to distinguish the characters is by their hairstyle and i feel like this is one where everyone's face is also unique in addition to their hairstyle and just the facial expressions like there are times where she will employ the like chibi like exaggerated expressions at appropriate moments but like there's also moments of just like really subtle expression you know like when when she's just like you know when Coco's looking bored flipping through like a book like it's just like this perfect expression of someone kind of looking bored flipping through a book it's like this there's some nice little subtleties that happen in here too
1: yeah and I think there's like there's variety in the character designs but also in their body language like it's not yeah like super obvious it's not like amped up or anything like that but like looking through it like I can see different characters will like carry themselves differently
2: yeah they have like a very they all have very distinct personalities despite all being like young girls the the bulk of the cast are these young girls so uh
0: yeah, basically does uniform. come
2: to the alley atelier and she has like three three roommates who are also studying but they they kind of came up through the witching world and so they're more advanced Something I want to say about the manga kind of isms that you're, you're referring to is that I thought that they brought a nice amount of levity. I feel like without those breaks, it kind of borders on taking itself too seriously. And I think it kind of helps break you out of that of like, oh, you know, it just keeps it very light and fun. Uh, I also found Coco as a character very, very likable from the jump. Uh, just her her enthusiasm is really infectious. I feel like she doesn't suffer from main character sy- syndrome because she kind of just comes through as like a big geek, kind of like anyone would be from our world to be like, "Holy crap, you're doing magic! This rules!"
1: <laughs> yeah, and also <laughs> and she she's not just... like overconfident. She's not like, "I'm going to be the best witch in the world." Or like, I don't even know if I can do this. Maybe I yeah. should be doing this.
2: Yeah, she's she's not overconfident, but she does persevere.
1: Mm-hmm. And she does
2: like find her own way through things, which is another thing that I really like about Coco as a character.
1: I also like the the way that she succeeds is often not through a, a having a lot of skill because she's obviously new at this, but by just being really innovative and kind of mm-hmm. desperate. <laughs> ah. And like that, that seems like very believable. Like I'll I'll buy that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I also just appreciate that. I mean, I I feel like the. The overarching narrative is letting you know that she has a special destiny. But I appreciate that none of the characters really seem to think that she has a special destiny. Like a lot of people are she doesn't believe in herself. And a lot of the people around her don't believe in her. And she often gets her her confidence shattered by the people around her who don't believe in her. Which is I think a nice breath of fresh air as opposed to a narrative where characters are constantly like, you are the chosen one, you are the special boy, you are so special. Mm-hmm. like you have a destiny. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> Kiffery is really the only one who treats her, I think, uniformly fairly and mm-hmm. encouraging, but even he's got ulterior motives. Mm-hmm. He's like the the witches that I don't trust, the the wide brim witches, have an interest in this girl that I don't understand. And I need to keep her close to the vest for those reasons, not necessarily for the benefit of Coco herself, even though he is usually very, very caring and kind to Coco.
1: Yeah. I think though, the one exception to that is that he made a decision early in the book that it would be very bad for her if he erased her memory and he chose the more difficult path for her benefit so that she, because like from his ulterior motive point of view erasing her memory would basically be just as good probably or almost as good
2: mm, well the way he explains it in the book is that she's his only lead yeah on who this witch is and that's kind of his his reason for keeping her memory is that if he erases his memory he erases all of this opportunity to figure out who gave her the book
1: yeah and, and that's what he says but i also feel like I don't know, maybe just the way that he's written, it's, it feels to me like he's sort of, as much as that is true, it is also a justification. Like he is using this to justify to himself. I'm going to like take on another student, which is like not a small amount of work uh, for this small benefit, because I re- I need this small benefit.
2: Yeah. And I think like Coco, one of her character traits is that she just does manage to win people over Eventually. <laughs> Certain people, it's more difficult than others, but she does, you know, with her forthrightness and her enthusiasm and her dedication, she just does seem to win people over. And Kifri she won over pretty quickly because of her her drafting skills, which doesn't make sense at the beginning, but by the end it makes sense why you would want someone with really good drafting skills <laughs> in this profession because you use pen and ink uh do we want to talk about this magic system
1: oh yes uh, I, it's so well thought out like there's a lot of books with a lot of magic systems and once in a while I'll come across one that is both unique and like really logical and this is one of those where like all through the book I was like oh yeah sure yeah that makes sense like even to the point where there were things that I had sort of guessed could be possible and then later they happened like the idea of like drawing a sigil and then like not quite finishing the circle. Like when we first found out about drawing sigils, I was like, hey, that would be a really good way to like do a spell quickly, right? And then later on that happens. And like, I, I think stuff like that really speaks to, like, obviously this is magic and it's all made up and it doesn't matter, but if it, if the world makes sense, it's easier to sort of like lose yourself in it and just, and accept it as part of the story.
2: I like it. I I agree with you, and I like it for two reasons. Um, So, I think what lends to the believability and also kind of this magic structure working is the number one ease of access. So, the fact that like anyone can come in and draw a sigil, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have any innate power. That makes it very kind of interesting and alluring, but it's held back by this like you need a magical reagent and the magical reagent, like you can't just like scribble a sigil anywhere. And I feel Uh like other other places I've seen similar magic systems implemented, it's like you could just draw a sigil anywhere, but you have to have like an innate power, which makes it like, oh, okay. Seeing it the other way is like less captivating somehow. Yeah, Uh, it's it's
1: like lazier writing, I think to say, oh, just some people just have it and others don't. And also like thematically, I don't like that as a theme yeah to things like bloodlines and like stuff like that and like ah,
2: uh, well full metal alchemist is kind of like that full metal alchemist involves a lot of like sigils and symbology but it is very much like you need the alchemist's skill or whatever
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's not not unique to the series that should named a lot of magic systems have something similar to that
0: and i like <laughs> that
1: this is not that
0: yeah well i i actually like the the kind of i don't know the the twist or the turn in this, which is that like, there was a time where everyone had access to these sigils, but the problem was people were using these sigils to like have wars and fight each other. And so it sort of was decided that this should become forbidden knowledge, that this knowledge should be hidden away so that only certain people have access to it. Like responsible individuals will use magic for the benefit of mankind. Cause if, if we just let anybody learn the secret, then people will be like casting, you know, horrible, like violent spells on each other, you know? And I like that concept of just like magic as, I don't know, it's sort of like an extension of like maybe technology or like weaponry, where it's like, you know, like we, can't just like let anybody have access to this because it could be dangerous. So we need to like control it. And I mean, I don't know if the series was going to explore this, but I mean, like there is, there's an interesting discussion to be had there about like, by what right are you the arbiters of who can and cannot wield magic? But like, I think that's a really interesting world. There's an interesting tension that's created with that world building.
2: Yeah, I've only read the two volumes, but I agree with you that it does seem to be alluding that like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I can see a rational argument there, but there are other rational arguments <laughs> that could be made. And like, maybe this is gonna get, it, it seems to be getting alluded to that this concept and this discussion will be threaded
0: back.
1: Yeah, I hope, uh, I hope that's where the series goes because that would be a really interesting thread to, to pull on. I noticed, for example, that even though we're like, there are, initially we're told that magic is like only for special people, you have to be born doing it. That turns out to be a lie. And then we find out that no, you just have to have the right ingredients and know how to draw and know the symbols. But then, like, after that, I was noticing how many other people in this witching world are just sort of a a closed off community. Like the other witches at this school, at least the the oldest witch, I can't remember her name.
2: Agate?
1: Yeah, Agate. Like, Agate, for example, is like a, a child of other witches So and the the boy that they meet in the town is uh, like he's learning witchcraft because his dad knows witchcraft, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Yeah, it seems like like it is very
2: cloistered as culture.
1: Yeah. So like it's not the case that the world dictates that only special people can do magic, but it seems like they've kind of built a system where that's the case. And that's really interesting where if if this is a, a human built system, then it's like, obviously flawed
2: yeah where it like it wasn't that you make a really good point there where like it didn't start that it's like we're, we're saying that only people from certain communities can do magic but it just kind of ended up that way and I thought it was really interesting when they went to the the witch's village newt or something I forget and they're like only witches come here so we didn't even have to build any bridges people just fly here <laughs> It's like, hmm, interesting. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it feels like it's the groundwork for something. And and if it is, I'm excited about that. I like,
2: uh, there's also all these little illusions. Like, I really liked the scene where Kifri went to the the witch's keep, which is kind of in the bottom of the ocean and you go down this long staircase and then he just like jumps down, right? bypassing the whole staircase and the person who meets him at the bottom is like it seems kind of messed up that like we built this gorgeous staircase and literally nobody uses
0: it <laughs> weird
2: right
3: Hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah no this the world building is is so fun and then i i mean honestly i did really like the character dynamics like i think the dynamic between like agate and Coco right and versus like Tisha and Coco you know it's I enjoy that you know there's the sort of supportive enthusiastic friend and then there's the sort of rival currently but you know I mean probably will eventually get one over but like you know I, I can sympathize a little bit with where Agate's at where it's like I worked really hard to get here and now this person just like accidentally fell backwards into magic and now they're training at a level very close to me like you know what the you know, what the fuck like i put in all this work and it's undervaluing what i put into this you know um
2: yeah and agate you know takes a very harsh stance on that uh it's alluded later on that she may have reasons to feel this way but uh she does treat Coco very, very harshly. Like one of the first things she does is like, oh, well, you didn't know this. It's like literally the first day in our world, but there's like a, this really important one-time admissions test that you have to do 100% on your own. No training. Bye. You know, like <laughs> <it takes laughs> you through the window. She's yeah, like, look at this plant. Try not to die. <laughs> yeah
1: It feels very mean in a way that kids are often mean where you can mm. understand the logic of what why she's being mean like this but also it's like completely irrational like she she doesn't need to do this like her life doesn't get any better by treating cocoa like crap but it's just like no this is just she's like expressing her feelings and not thinking about the consequences
2: yeah it does feel like an age appropriate bad thing to do yeah um poor Coco (laughs) (laughs) so basically she's like and they just get this uh not only does she has to do this really challenging trial but she has to do it at like a really challenging season of the year apparently when it's no crap
1: very little explanation of what's going on
2: and the mount they're like all these round floating mountains I thought that area was really cool I thought that like the the round spherical floating mountains (laughs) that you kind of have to figure out how to get up into them by your own magical devices. It was very, it was very cool. I liked the way that area was rendered.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and the stakes are so high for her at that point because uh, like she's, if she doesn't succeed, she's going to get kicked out of the school, which means not only is she going to lose her memory and basically not be the same person anymore, but then never get her mother back.
2: Yeah, that's (laughs) a really, really strong protagonist motivator i feel Mm. like i think it's really well set up it's not like i'm gonna be magical because i want to be it's like it's really emotionally high stakes the the whole memory wiping aspect is quite scary (laughs) if you think Mm. about it
1: Yeah. yeah yeah and again i hope they'll go more into that later on
0: yeah i think her solution to that dilemma was really good too like i i i Because I mean, there was a moment where I was like, I don't know how she's going to get out of this. Like she's her ink is messed up. She's messed up her shoes like and then she has that epiphany like, wait, I know how to mark up fabric and I've got this piece of fabric. And if I put a giant sigil on this, I can turn that into like a flying carpet. And, you know, like I was like, that's really smart. And it plays into her strengths, her pre-existing strengths, you know, which is good.
1: Yeah, and and at the same time, she's also aware that there are ways she could cheat, but doesn't do them, which I think is really indicative of who she is as a character. She thinks to herself, oh, I could just draw the sigil on the soles of my feet. But then, no, you're not allowed to do that. That's against the rules. And so like, I don't know what the consequences would be for cheating like that, but probably not great. And she's obviously realizes that that's not that's not gonna that's not yeah. gonna
2: work either She she's already done one forbidden spell by accident
1: mm-hmm. and the
2: consequences of that were bad enough so mm-hmm. she she's like oh i guess uh well one of the first things she asked kifri like when she gets to the atelier she's like immediately show me all the forbidden spells <laughs> so that i know to never draw any of them because it's kind of scary that like this this idea that like casting magic is kind of i mean it's very challenging to master but very simple to execute mm. and like the fact that she was able to execute it like just not even trying like accidentally is terrifying and she's like i want to know what these bad symbols are so i can stay away from them
1: and, and the the logic of why things are forbidden makes a lot of sense too where it's the it's a really short list uh like really easy to understand basically don't cast spells on humans essentially um I
0: don't don't harm or affect people with your magic like yeah
1: <laughs> yeah so i mean I, I i understand why someone would come up with a really simple rule and say this is a rule we're all going to follow this and that there's probably going to be side effects like the fact that they can't heal people it's like i can see that's a that's a pretty big downside
2: that's a big one yeah
1: but at least probably it's probably like, going to
2: come back right yeah i mean that that the fact sense. that it's so hard to undo this this stone spell is a little suspect mm. in my like, how mm. I don't understand why they can't just go get the book in the bedroom. Like, did the entire
1: house, I think turn the to whole stone? house was turned to stone? Okay, like, this, this I mean, time there's, time there's to... clearly
0: a reason, I mean, but it wasn't yeah. super, super clear to me. Yeah, it was my, I mean, yeah, I, I, the there wasn't an illustration to confirm it, but my understanding was that the house and her mother. Where just everything got turned into like a giant rock, basically. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's why they have to get this book. And I mean, I don't know. That's maybe the point where it's like a little bit of a contrivance that, like, well, you can't just go get a copy of the book. You'd have to complete all this training and get licensed. And then you could go get a copy of this book.
2: Yeah, it's like Kiffrey can't go get it. Like, okay. Like (laughs)
0: Like
1: this, this is this ties into my main criticism is that there are a few points in the story and not many of them, but often they're key points where uh, like I got lost because the, I mean, the illustration is great. The story is, is good. It's fine. But sometimes the sort of the comic of it, like the panel to panel stuff is where maybe it's not always working. Like sometimes it is, but other times, like that point where the uh, her mother turns to stone yeah. I had to go back and look at it again to figure out, like, okay, what exactly happened here, and there were a few other points too where, like, I got stuck and like when they they go to the place with the dragon and they get yeah it. when they
2: slip through that dimension, yeah. it's really it takes you a minute to figure out what exactly uh-huh. happened, and it takes the characters a minute as well. So I sure. feel like it's for, forgivable in that aspect, but it's definitely
1: yeah like one or too. two extra panels snuck in there. I think may, could have made all the difference.
0: Oh yeah, and I think. Later on in in book two as well, when they're in the maze and they're dealing with the dragon, I felt like there was a scene where they were talking about what their plan was going to be. And then I thought they were illustrating them imagining their plan playing out. And then suddenly it was like, yeah, well, that was our plan we just did. And I was like, wait, what? Oh, okay, So they. Mm oh, I was watching their plan play out as they were narrating their plan. I thought I was watching them describing what they hoped was gonna happen. And then we would see whether the plan succeeded. But anyways, like, yeah, it was beautiful. I mean, one of the best illustrations of a dragon lounging on a cloud like a cat (laughs) I've ever seen. But yeah, it just like, I I had to kind of go back and reread and be like, wait, what just happened? yeah Yeah.
2: and then there was like later on when they have that sigil on the tower I I don't like a hundred percent understand when Coco broke it if she did Mm -hmm. and then how Kifri figured it out that that's where they were and managed to go get them like there was a sequence there that was also really not very clear to me
1: yeah and then the the very end of volume two and maybe this will be explained better in volume three but I'm not really clear what happened there. It seems so.
2: My understanding is that Coco used the same sigil as they used on the wall Mm -hmm. to break it down into sand. So she did that to the boulder, but then it spread somehow, and like all of the hillside all the way down the river was turning to sand suddenly.
1: Yeah, that's what it looks like, but she is also at least convinced at that point that it that that's not what she did so yeah. i don't know yeah
2: yeah because i i don't understand that either like how that could have happened because it seems very one-to-one like mm-hmm. you draw the sigil on the thing it does the thing
3: mm-hmm. so
2: how does it spread like that like there's a lot of unanswered questions here so it could be that you know coco was set up well, it could be that
0: there's the Coco's one phone. thing like the one thing before that happened Is they got back from the maze, and there was a moment where Coco was with the wide-brimmed witch that gave her the book in the first place. And the witch was like, like kind of like, I'm gonna give you one more gift, which I had assumed was gonna give her a special wand pen, and that she would notice, like, oh, I've got this crazy wand pen now. But it was never clear what was given to her. It's just she Mm. woke up on the ground and you know, Kifri and everyone were like, where were you? And then it's like, this is her first time seriously, uh, or no, I guess she's used, this is the thing, she used magic in Kifri's house, like to do cooking and nothing weird happened. And yet somehow casting this one spell has like caused some weird chain reaction. But like, that's where, that's the only thing I could think is that the wide brimmed hat witch had, I don't know, given her... Like a superpowered wand, or somehow made it so that when she did a certain spell, it would be like supercharged. But
2: yeah, unclear. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that's again, a good, like, that's
2: a good idea. I I hadn't picked up on that either. Also, it bothers me that this one witch in particular does not have a wide brim, even though know, they refer to all of them as the wide brim hat witches.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess
2: trivial. The, it would have been trivial. Like, Just put a brim on it.
0: No, no, big
2: deal. Make it consistent
0: jeweled things (laughs) hanging off the edge of your hat which
2: doesn't quite have the same ring to it
0: (laughs) I did I do appreciate that the quote-unquote good witches basically have um pointed hats that you would sort of often associate more with like academics in like the ancient times and then the evil witches have the more traditional like wicked witch of the west like wide-brimmed hat I thought that was a cute sort of visual marker but as you say they don't use it consistently one of them almost looks like a cowboy hat (laughs) (laughs) it's also
1: just like really good world building to come up with this like otherwise arbitrary thing and say this is the thing that everyone is focused on like yeah because it's a different world They, they, they use different like social markers or whatever
2: yeah so it is cute I thought the aesthetic okay so the costume design we can touch on for a minute I thought the costume design was really really good yeah uh, I really liked that it had a unique spin on witches, not entirely unlike anything we've seen before. Like I think it reminded me a lot of some other witch based anime that I've seen in the past, but it still managed to be really unique and really cute and really well executed. I like the way costumes were drawn in
0: this.
1: Comic. Oh, yeah, like a great excuse to draw just like folds of fabric everywhere.
0: A lot of fun. And this is an artist artist who can do it. Um,
2: (laughs) Man, that's one scene where Kifri is like walking towards the entrance to the sea witch kind of towards that crazy staircase. And like his coat is just like billowing up in the wind in like a way that just looks completely crazy. And it's like, oh my God, incredible. (laughs) So good.
0: (laughs) I also like that when Kifri's just chilling in his atelier and takes his robe off, it just seems like he's wearing like a black turtleneck. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah that's
0: nice it's it's like, well, the artist
2: the artist just needs a break it's like i just need some spot black here <laughs> i got a deadline <laughs> yeah.
1: like there's just so many like individual pages that like uh this wasn't something that i've really noticed or focused on as i was reading it because when you're reading comics it's panel 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 but like flipping through the books there there's individual pages that are just like really good art pieces on their own like the composition, like I'm, this is a podcast and no one at home can see this, but like really balanced compositions and like uh, every, like you you could cut a page out of the book and like put it on a wall and not know anything about the story, but have like a really cool illustration.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really strong skill. X 1999 is like another book that's kind of like that for me where it's like, the story doesn't really make sense, but it's one of these books that I can just open to any page And the page is like one of the most gorgeous things I've ever seen in my life. And like, and so I do feel like Hat Atelier is like that for me, Mm. Uh, kind of just, yeah. What you said where like every page kind of feels like its own illustration. And I think the the decorative elements really help lend to that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's, it's not something that has a lot of value necessarily in terms of like the comics medium but that's not the same thing as it having no value like you you don't get a. if you were trying to get someone to make a better comic you don't tell them oh you make your individual pages like really well balanced illustrations
2: i think it kind of helps serve this vibe though
3: yeah yeah,
2: it it serves the kind of storytelling vibe uh i kind of described that this book feels like falling into a fairy tale and i think that's that's part of why
0: Mm. yeah yeah no i mean the art really carries like a lot of this in just keeping that kind of whimsical atmosphere like yeah it's like I say I this is one of the most breathtaking mangas that we've covered on this on this podcast I really am a fan of the artwork
1: also really good book design like as soon as I saw the books I was like "Ha, huh, that's cool the
2: covers the covers are really pretty
0: yeah mm-hmm.
2: I like the way they line up they do they look oh. really nice on a shelf?
0: Mm. Okay.
2: Like the spines have these like diamond shapes, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. It's just it's really cute. Yeah, they're really oh, cute. So the okay, means. so I'll describe this. You have the nice title, and then you have kind of a diamond shape for the edition number, and then below that is another diamond shape with one of the characters in it, and they all line up just like clean and nice. <sighs> you know, you know, I'm a shelf
0: aficionado. I like it. <laughs> there we go. And yeah, I, I was hoping to get a print edition from the library, but then uh, they're all on hold because people love this book so much. So they're too
2: popular. I had uh, to buy them again, too, even though I originally got them from the library.
0: They're uh, flying see, off the shelves. I restarted my uh, Kindle Unlimited subscription because volume one was included with the subscription. So,
1: <laughs> should we do final thoughts?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I I really enjoyed uh, this book. I just like breezed, breezed through it. I like picked it up and just got really into it. I'm pretty certain that the artist would be able to draw whatever magic sigil on request. I think her <laughs> understanding of the magic system is such that I think she could just make a sigil if you're like, this is the spell that should happen. Oh, yeah. No, that I,
1: I wanted to comment on that too. How the... like We're actually basically told some of the sigils it's spelled out in a way where you could like, if you read all 10 volumes, I'm sure you could just like go around drawing sigils that are like Canon, just making up the ones
2: but you need wood. Crow.
1: Yeah. That's the trick is you need the right kind of ink, which we don't have. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, just, I don't know a uh, big, big shout out to Kamome Shirahama. I'm going to try to remember that name because the art is amazing. This was a delightful read. And as I said at the beginning, move over, book that shall not be named. This is 100% better. If you want a great (laughs) series about a young person entering the world of magic, this is the one to read. This is the one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I I don't know if I'm going to keep buying volumes of the book, but I'm definitely keeping these two volumes on my shelf. And I'm sure I'll take them down once in a while just to like, look at the art, look for inspiration, uh, look at the, the page composition, because it's all great.
2: Yeah, and I'm the one who recommended it. Uh, I will be continuing to read this series. Uh, I only managed to get volumes one and two because I'm cheap and I only get them at the library and they're constantly flying off the shelves. So I just have to keep going in and like, oh, three is there, hooray. But uh, <laughs> as soon as I get it, I will be continuing to pick it up. I think this is, a pretty broad and easy recommend. If you're an, an, a non young person, you're an older person, it's just a nice break. You know, it's a nice chill thing to read that's just going to, you know, leave you feeling better than when you started, I think. And if you're a younger person, it's a pretty accessible work that I think will draw you in, will ignite your imagination, and uh, it has some spooky things going on, but I don't think there's anything objectionable. So I I really like this work, and I think a lot of people can enjoy it.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm going to shout out "My Aunt Is a Monster" by uh, Remina Yi. Hope I'm saying her name right. It's a really fun graphic novel, like really unique and different. Like the the drawing style is different. The uh, it's sort of like an archaeological adventure, but with like magical creatures. I don't even know if I want to. Try and explain it. It's just, it's really good and you should try reading it because like I enjoyed it a lot. Speaking hey. of books that have like gorgeous individual pages.
2: I love Romanian. Have you read the Alexander book yet?
1: Not yet. I backed the you Kickstarter. Need,
2: you personally need to read that one.
1: <laughs> yes, I know. That's why I backed the Kickstarter.
2: <laughs> okay. Okay. It is all online. <laughs> just FYI.
1: I'm waiting for the trade.
2: Fine.
0: <laughs> what? nobody waiting for the trade
1: what? i know that's I know not how, it's how you're supposed to be out it. of
0: character for this podcast uh. <laughs> all right so i'm jeff ellis and i'm going to shout out alberta comics home which is an anthology i picked up when i was last in calgary for the uh, panel one comic show and this is most of the panel one artists contributing to it and uh, the theme was home and it was done very close on the heels of the pandemic. So there's a lot of pandemic adjacent stories. Um, there's also other non-pandemic adjacent stories. But this just, I don't know, this made me think about early Cloudscape anthologies. And I was like, wow, like, good job, guys. I wish Cloudscape had thought about soliciting some kind of pandemic memoir stories to make an anthology because this is really good it's a great little anthology put out by renegade press so check it out
2: nice uh and i'm jam my shout out this week is going to be for a webcomic which has been going for a little while and i have been enjoying it it's called the golden boar by magnolia porter Sidel. it's pretty fun it is pitched at more mature readers for sexy reasons but uh it's not it's not super explicit don't let that turn you off it's fun It's fun. It's a fun little magical story.
1: Jeff, what's our next book?
0: Our next book is Drag Man by Stephen Appleby.
2: The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank Sleuth for the music. You can find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts.